Caleb Williams is a better prospect than Drake May, ladies and gentlemen, but my co-host disagrees, okay? We're going to go through those two players specifically, talk about the strengths and weaknesses of each player, how they set up going into the season, and then we are going to talk about some of the other quarterbacks and top sleepers from this NFL draft class so far that we have seen over the summer. I am Dalton Miller joined by Ian Cummings, and this is the PFN Scouting Podcast. I am on another podcast. I do a Dallas Cowboys podcast for PFN, and I love it. I love the Dallas Cowboys. That is where my fandom lies, but my one true love is the NFL draft, and I cannot describe in words how excited I am to do this twice a week with my friend Ian Cummings. Ian, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. I, I want to formally welcome everyone to the PFN Scouting Podcast. I know Dalton's been excited about it for about, what, three months, it sounds like. Once we, yeah. right from the get-go, when we learned it was going to happen, we're like, okay, here we go. It's go time. And now we're finally there. We're finally at the first episode. So I'm excited. And, you know, what better year to start this PFN Scouting Podcast than the 2024 NFL Draft Cycle? It's got everything you could want. You know, a near-generational non-QB who we'll get into next episode, but then also the QB battle at the top of the board man every year it seems that you get a one and a two pit against one another sometimes you kind of make more out of it than what it is like when it was kenny pickett and malik willis right like we kind of elevated that inflated that but this year uh, i think the matchup does meet the hype caleb williams or drake may who's it going to be i think you can make a case for either one and we are going to but uh just so excited to not only talk about these guys but see how they progress through the cycle Yes, and that's going to be the biggest thing for me. I think when you look at these two players specifically, I think you see the, I guess, similarities between Caleb Williams and somebody like uh, Patrick Mahomes. And and it's unfair to comp him to Patrick Mahomes because nobody is Patrick Mahomes. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you look at the physical presence of Drake May, I think that's where you really get into – the excitement about where he might be able to go this season somebody who is a legitimate six foot four 200 you know 25 230 pound guy who runs kind of similarly in my opinion to somebody like daniel jones who i think is still incredibly underrated as a runner at the nfl level uh, i think that that's kind of what he can bring you plus that like super top tier arm talent Um, But we're going to get into strengths and weaknesses of each of these guys. We're going to kind of pit them against one another here. Um, What did you think of when you saw the differences between Caleb Williams and Drake May just from, you know, a a pure accuracy and ball placement perspective? Yeah, I think it's tough, man, because the the ceiling moments from each of them are incredible. Like, especially Drake May, I feel like some of the instances of situational placement from him are superb. You know, I think any any time that you are dealing with placement, it's, you know, it's accuracy, it's touch, but also velocity and kind of layering those traits together, right? Like if you're only throwing lasers, if you're not manipulating the trajectory and the touch on your throws, you know, you're not always going to need to fit it into these tight windows because football is a three-dimensional game. You know, you're not just playing on a linear plane. You also need to fit it into tight windows and add some more loft to it too. And the fact of the matter is some guys with the, you know, superior arm talent, they're the only ones who can make those kinds of throws. And those are the throws that you see on Drake May's tape sometimes when it's, you know, outside the number putting it into a tight bucket or maybe fitting it into a tight window in the red zone in the end zone he's got that ability he really does and that's an impressive thing but Caleb Williams does too that's the thing you know just adjusting his arm angles and using that arm elasticity to layer touch and velocity and put it into tight windows and kind of loop it over linebackers looming at the second 
level. They both have that ability. And that's the exciting part. Uh, comparing the two, you know, it's difficult because they both have those moments. I think May can clean up his mechanics a little bit more. That was something that stood out to me is that he plays a little tall sometimes, not always able to drive his lower body through. So I want him to keep improving that. But I think the fact of the matter is they both have it at the very least. And that's something that's very important. Yeah, when I look at them, I think the most impressive thing for me, and it's something that I think is often overlooked when we think about quarterbacks, we think about, you know, how do they look when they're throwing ball placement specifically to the, like the intermediate and deep levels of the field? I think that that yeah. is really what takes up most of our time because that is what we deem as the the more difficult or NFL level throws. But with the way that the NFL has gone recently, I, I put a really big emphasis on consistent ball placement in the short areas of the field as well. And when I watched the differences between Caleb Williams and Drake May, I thought Caleb Williams might have been the most accurate player I've seen in those like screen throws um, and really short like throws in the quick game. I think that that's kind of where he separated himself from an accuracy perspective. Um, like you said, I think that Drake May needs to improve on some things mechanically. Yeah. Um, I think that the consistency with his ball placement is a little bit scattershot because of that. Um, but I think that most of the time when he is set and he has a stable base, I, I think that he's pretty good. I think the biggest differences that I see from them from an accuracy or ball placement perspective is when they go off script. And that's kind of where you see Caleb Williams have that advantage overall. And that's why people are so excited about him going to the next level is because he does make it look so easy when he gets on the move. But I think with Drake May, you see the flashes and the ability uh, to be a playmaker outside of structure. I think if he can kind of nail that down and nail down his mechanics a little bit uh, when he does get outside of the pocket, I think that you're looking at a guy who can um, realistically fight for that QB one spot going into the draft next year. And that's for somebody who, I mean, we're looking at, at uh, Caleb Williams as somebody who people are talking about being an Andrew Luck level prospect. So um, you, you are, are definitely looking at some high praise there. It's crazy because, you know, I think, and you mentioned the short accuracy. I think one reason why Williams is a lot is, is better there is because you know, I've, I think when it comes to recalibrating, right, like on those short passes, especially yeah. you don't have an opportunity to drop back a little bit and, you know, get a hitch to kind of get calibrated a little bit. You need mm -hmm. to be front and center. You know, you need to be mechanically synergized right from the bat. And I think Caleb Williams is so good at finding that synergy right off the snap. You know, he's a little bit more natural of a rotational thrower than May. May needs to kind of get into that phase. Williams is just so good at having that natural feel to find that rotation, generate that torque and align his shoulders to maintain alignment yep. on those throws. And so that, you know, that natural feel is something that's so impressive. And, you know, I know there's been a lot of hype around Williams, you know, the next Patrick Mahomes, the next Andrew Luck, right? I know David Shaw stands Stanford head coach who played against Williams was talking about it on the Move the Sticks podcast and you know was just talking about you know how calm he is in any situation that's an important thing too but one thing that really stood out to me on Williams tape and you know you see people comparing him to Mahomes and I want you you mentioned right off the bat there is no other Patrick Mahomes and we need to make that clear so yeah. I think there needs to be a distinction between he's not the next Patrick Mahomes but there is a distinct similarity in one specific thing and I hearken back to I don't know why I'm using the word hearken man we're, we're breaking out the vocabulary the, the I, no I love it sure, I man. love it but uh yeah you know I don't want to be too discombobulating here but uh yeah looking at the um watching the Netflix quarterback documentary series right you know you got to see Mahomes and his training regimen and they were talking to his trainer right and the trainer was talking about like body flexibility right like ankle mobility and hip flexibility and just all these things that you know for a long time like going back to the 2000s even before that 
you know, that wasn't always at the forefront of quarterback evaluation. It was, you know, you just get a prototypical guy who can stand in the pocket, who's accurate, it's got a big arm, right? You know, who can kind of control the offense, kind of tempo the offense, uh, be that conductor, right? But now with pressure, you know, you need to withstand pressure. You need to create out, out, outside of structure. And that that overarching flexibility, that uh, that malleability, that ability to, you know, so consistently and, and, you know, instantly torque your shoulders, right? You know, just get that rotation. You need flexibility to do that, to evade and to create. And Caleb Williams, you know, he's not the next Patrick Mahomes, but that's a very, very important similarity is that flexibility, that overarching flexibility, because let's face it, you know, some quarterbacks just don't have that flexibility to create off script. And Williams, all of the shot plays that he that he generates on tape, you see that you see that quality where he's just so flexible, so malleable. And I think that in, in tune you know, really creates that potential with him. And that's what's so exciting because he's got the competitive toughness too. I mean, he does not shy away from a challenge. He's got the arm strength. He's got the arm elasticity. You know, I think one one thing that knocked Williams for me, I think is one reason that I had May graded just a hair higher. I think they're essentially QB1 and QB1 or QB1A and QB1B. I think they're that close where it, it is really a coin flip. But, you know, sometimes he does create those chaotic situations, especially on those traditional dropbacks. You know, he'll have an open guy in the flat, you know, or over the middle of the field on a short hitch. Right. And, you know, he's got it. He's in rhythm. Just take what the defense gives you. He doesn't always do that. Sometimes he'll overlook it, try to go for the big play. And then the pocket's collapsing. And then you kind of create those chaotic situations. He's so good at navigating those situations. But in the NFL, the margin for error is a little bit slimmer, right? So you want to be careful. You know, if the defense gives you something easy, if it's a solid chunk gain, just take it, right? So I think, you know, I want to see him do more of that this season. I think May was a little bit better at doing that in the pocket, just taking what the defense gives him. But Williams' upside is so enthralling because of what he can do off script. Uh, it's just impossible to look away from. Yeah, and and I think the other thing with Caleb Williams that I see that we're seeing more and more often at the NFL levels now is he's just automatic with RPOs. I mean, yeah. it's it's unbelievable the way that he is able to operate the RPO game. Um, I think from a schematic, you know, decision making perspective, um, I think from what I saw um, in both of their tape, I, I think that both of them kind of invite chaos uh, at times and, and pressure on themselves. I, I think that what I like most about both of their tapes is um the ability to be calm in the pocket with everything collapsing around them and i think you know we had definitely saw that way more often um with drake may's tape just because he got pressured way more than caleb williams and i think that that's another knock that we can put on caleb williams it's a knock that we could have put on jalen hurts or baker mayfield before him that lincoln riley offense you're just you're going to have time to throw the football you're going to have time to operate and be comfortable in the pocket and i think that when things break down a little bit is where we've seen Caleb Williams make a couple of mistakes. Um, I do think that he needs to hit his checkdowns more often. He is always trying to make the big play. Um, and in that offense, it is very much surrounded by or needing those explosives uh, to keep the ball moving. Um, when I look at Drake May, I, I think the biggest issue I had with him is the sliding left a little bit on throws to the left and creating the pressure off of that left edge with that left tackle just getting pushed into the pocket because he's sliding over and then into that direction and I think that that's something that he started to fix towards the end of the season that was kind of an early season issue thing and that's another thing that we need to look at is their ability to show improvement throughout the season and I think that we saw that with Drake May in that respect um, specifically and I think that he just got a little bit more comfortable in the pocket overall um, you know, like I have here, 
pocket presence, maneuverability, like the off-script stuff with Caleb Williams, Oregon State pressured him a lot. They were throwing mm-hmm. a lot of blitzes at him, throwing a lot of man coverage behind him, and that's where you kind of saw him get a little bit uncomfortable and, and speed up his process a little bit and not play as sharp as we're used to seeing him play. And he's still able to make those insane plays outside of structure. Um, but when things are totally broken down is when you really need to see what a quarterback is made of. And I think that both Williams and may need to improve that a little bit. Although I do think that may has the um, advantage in that respect right now. Yeah. And I think, you know, the important note with, with either of these guys, I think, you know, anytime you have a cycle where two quarterbacks are already being hyped up as potential top five picks, maybe they get scrutinized a little bit too quickly, you know, as that final mm-hmm. product, like in the summer, like, what are we working with right now? We got to remember, neither of these guys were eligible last cycle. They're still very young as yes. quarterbacks, and they're still growing. So I think, you know, you look at it through that lens. And the talent becomes so much more distinct because they do have it. You know, I think one thing that, you know, and this isn't something that I recoiled against, right? I put the numbers through objectively through the scale and may may came out a tiny bit higher for me. But there has been, it feels like there's been a little bit of a narrative where it's like Caleb Williams is the high upside guy. May is the, you know, higher floor guy, right? But I think, you know, they're both very talented prospects. I think they're both, you know, pretty, not similar. I think Caleb Williams is, his creation capacity is hyper elite. I mean, you're not Mm going to match that in this class. Maybe Jordan Travis, maybe Slim Reaper, Jaden Daniels. But you know, I think Caleb Williams is at the top of the board when it comes to that. But, you know, let's not act like May doesn't have it. That's the that's the the point that I want to make with him is that, you know, he isn't a very good athlete. You know, he is a guy who has, like you said, the top flight arm talent. And then, you know, there are times when you see him roll out. He can torque his hips very, very efficiently off platform. You know, he's not stiff. Sometimes with taller quarterbacks, you know, guys who are, you know, fitting that pocket passer prototypical mold, they don't always have the flexibility. They're a little too stiff to create off platform when they need to. But May has that flexibility. He really does. And he can generate velocity off platform. He's shown he can maintain shoulder alignment. So, you know, I think both of these guys are very tools rich. It's just going to come down to, you know, for May cleaning up his mechanics a little bit more, you know, kind of maintaining more consistency and then with Williams you know you've got that playmaking ability you've got that elite that hyper elite creation capacity but take what the defense gives you when they give you something easy don't feel like you have to create something spectacular on every play and I think that's the important thing with them but you know I'm so excited to see how they progress because you know they do have things to work on but right now I think you know especially every cycle you get reintroduced to these quarterback prospects so you need to you need to kind of decipher early on do they meet the hype or is the scarcity you know provided by a new cycle a new cycle of discovery kind of forcing us to kind of overhype these guys i don't think that's the case here i think both of these guys have proven their mettle as legitimate nfl prospects now it's time to see what they can do with it how they progress and you know where they ultimately end up but i think you know right now it is a safe projection to say that they could be one, two off the board. Again, it depends on how the NFL board falls, right? We don't know what's going to happen there, but these guys are franchise QB potential in waiting. I think that's safe to say that. Yeah. And I think the, the big thing that you see with Drake may, um, and, and it's really funny because both of these guys have fantastic arms, but um, it, it's really funny to see, like I, I wrote down in my notes, he's not a Josh Allen type, but he has plus arm talent. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a little bit later it was uh, on my 
play sheet. It was play 153 versus Notre Dame. And I was like, okay, I don't effing know anymore. I was like, the ball teleported. It's a seam <laughs> throw. The ball teleported. I, I don't know what happened. But I think the, the crazy thing about Drake May, and I think what NFL scouts um, and coaches are going to love so much, is his release is lightning fast. Oh, yeah. I mean, that ball gets out of his hands immediately. And it's a little bit different when, you know, uh, I, something that you like to talk about quite a bit is arm elasticity. Um, and you definitely see that with with uh, Caleb Williams, um, a little bit longer delivery. It's still not slow, but it's a little bit longer. Drake May gets that ball out immediately. Mm-hmm. And when you have that velocity and that release, that ball gets there so much quicker to the target. So it, it, he's able to kind of really push through those small windows. I'm incredibly excited to see both of these guys and how they progress. You have a new offense coming in in North Carolina. That'll be interesting to track to see how much different it looks um, when the season actually rolls around, what that offensive line looks like. And then out in, at USC, you know, you're going to go up against, you know, what I like to call fake defenses. It's not fake <laughs> defense, but, you know, a lot of three man rush drop eight type stuff. And you're going to see Caleb Williams uh, continue to be comfortable in the pocket uh, for most of the Pac-12 schedule, which is a little bit unfortunate. But when you get those opportunities like against Oregon State last year where he is getting pressured, how he has improved from one year to the next in those situations, I think is going to be really uh, the the most important for him going forward. Now we got to move on. They're not the only two quarterbacks in this class. And actually next week, we're going to go through kind of the bottom five through 10 or six through 10 um, of Ian's top 10 quarterbacks, uh, quarterback rankings heading into the season. This might be from top to bottom, the deepest quarterback class I've seen and and you know you we've had years where we've had four or five first round picks um but then it kind of drops off very quickly after that I mean I I think that there might be 15 plus guys that end up getting drafted this year um at the quarterback position the senior class and I think you know part of this is just with the COVID schedule um having guys that are fifth six year guys that might've come out after three or four years in years prior I, I think is really important for their own development um, getting those more those snaps and then obviously the transfer portal has opened up an entirely new world and, and been able to show us things that we would have never gotten before because I don't think this next guy we're going to talk about Bo Nix from Oregon I don't think we see him in the same light that we do now if he was stuck at Auburn mm-hmm. and I think that this is one of the the upsides of the many upsides that there are of guys being able to move on and have immediate eligibility with almost no repercussions kind of like uh, their coaches are able to do. Um, But talk to me a little bit about Bo Nix, because this is somebody who I got to a little bit later this summer and everyone was like, yeah, Bo Nix, he looks good. He looks good. He's, he's a really good quarterback now. And I didn't believe it, but I'm a believer now. Yeah, he is. uh, He's, it's very fun. It's a very fun storyline. And I usually don't pull receipts, but I got, I got to throw this out there, man. It's September, his last year at Auburn, and I had him in round one of a mock draft. I had him in round one, I think, going to the Buccaneers. I was like, look, I, people are ragging on him. I'm going to be a believer in Bo Nix because the natural talent is there, man. If he can just if he can just you know, put it together and turns out he needed a change of scenery. He needs to be reunited with Kenny Dillingham. I think, you know, our, our good director, Ian Valentino, IV over at PFN uh, sent us an article about you know dillingham and his mentality and his work with quarterbacks like nicks and travis and you know having that you know a a coach who can cater to your skill set you know and give you what you need to develop is so important right and i think he got exactly what he needed at oregon obviously started out a little rocky that georgia game right you were still kind of seeing the the similar pitfalls that you'd seen uh from previous games yeah you got something to say 
Yes and no, because uh, listen, when you're playing uh, the Georgia Bulldogs defense, you're just not going to have a very good day. It doesn't matter. Yeah, like obviously. it doesn't matter how good you are. But I mean, that Georgia Bulldogs game is the one that actually, I mean, it's the one that I watched first and it's the one where I was like, oh, okay. Like Bo Nix actually has something here because I was, I was seeing the composure mm-hmm. in the ability to throw into the you know, intermediate levels, especially like on seam routes. I mean, those are NFL level throws that I didn't think that we were going to get from him. And it's not because he couldn't physically do it. It's just, we hadn't really seen it at yeah. Auburn. And you really see the confidence that he is playing in playing with right now. In addition to having that physical ability that he's always had, mm-hmm. um, it just had to all kind of come together. And there's some, you know, mechanical issues that still make for some really ugly play at times. Um, but it's so good. The highs are so high and he mm-hmm. has that athletic ability to go out and make plays that you uh, really kind of give him the benefit of the doubt for now. And, you know, we can laugh about him being in college for 75 years, but it's really important that he has gotten to this point. Because, like I said, we might not have seen that at Auburn. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you know, he took a few lumps. Like, I know Georgia, Christopher Smith, I think, had an interception off him from the slot, right, where Nick's kind of stared down the route a little bit, right? So, you know, the whole thing with Nick's has been, can he attain consistency, right? Can he consistently develop into a good quarterback, and especially at the college level, right? Like, if you... The leash is not super long, really, wherever you go, but especially at the Power 5 level. If you make too many mistakes, someone else is going to get a shot. And I think we were all a little worried, you know, because Nick's obviously at Auburn flamed out a little bit, ended up coming to Oregon. And there was some talk during the offseason. We didn't even know if he was going to be the starter. There was a battle going on. He ended up earning the job. But you never know from week to week how long a guy's going to keep it, right? So, But then Nick's, as the season progressed, and you mentioned it, we saw those NFL level throws. He has the arm strength. I don't think he has elite arm strength, but he's got a great arm. He really does. He has enough to generate velocity and push it into those intermediate levels. Like you said, very elastic arm, right? And that's something that I will always come back to when I'm evaluating quarterbacks. We talk about that flexibility, that off-platform ability, the ability to create off script and the high energy athleticism that he has, right? Like he's 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 got good speed in space. He's got good explosiveness, but I think the agility is really what sells you on Bo Nix. He can stop on a dime. He can make you miss. Yes. He can create, you know, having that ability is so fun and i think you know i still want to see him grow as an independent processor in 2023 i think a a large amount of plays were you know not scripted but you know kind of created things for him with the spacing in 2022 you know getting him out on the run which is what you want to do with bo nicks he's a very good off-platform thrower um, but I do want to see him go through more traditional dropbacks, you know, a little bit more uh, autonomous in the pocket when he needs to manage space. He's so good at creating when he's rolling out. But can you do those, you know, those more traditional quarterback things? If you can do that, then I'm on board. Right. So I want to see a little bit more of that. But the accuracy, the ball placement, I think that took a noticeable step up as well. You know, I think, you know, the mechanical fail safe that he has to, again, get consistent rotation, get consistent alignment is there. And then, you know, one thing that really impressed me is when he is going off script. You know, some quarterbacks kind of put on autopilot, right? You know, maybe they'll tuck and run or they'll, you know, try and force a throw. But Nick's showed really great control. I think it might have been, I think it was against UCLA where he was rolling out to his left and, you know, he he's running to the boundary. He starts to kind of swerve upfield a little bit to draw in the underneath defender. And then when the defender comes in to try and tackle him, he leaves open a, a wide receiver on the boundary. Nick's kind of feigns going upfield to run and then he just he just snaps back to the left, fires a dart to his receiver, who's got a wide open running lane because Nick's faked being a runner. So I think having that, you know, that deceptive ability in the heat of the moment too, you know, you're showing control, you're showing discretion, things that, you know, are impressive building blocks for a quarterback mentally. So I think 
you know, having that heightened control and that heightened comfort at Oregon was very big for him because he does have the necessary physical tools to be an NFL starter, I think. Yeah, and and I, I like that you brought up his agility because that's the one thing that really popped out to me when I was watching him, you know, as an athlete. It was that quick explosiveness and the ability to make guys miss, which is something that I, I think a lot of quarterbacks can be like fun runners at times, but there's aren't there aren't a ton of guys that are able to truly create. Um, and I think that he is a really good creator. I think that he has a really good understanding of how to set up defenders as a runner as well. Um, I like uh, the, the, the way that I kind of look at it, you know, from a processing perspective is I think that there's just really nice stretches. Um, and then there will be an inconceivable position or two mm-hmm. every game where if you're able to clean that up, you're looking like one of the best quarterback prospects in the draft class. Um, if not, you know, fighting at that you know tier just below um you know the caleb williams and drake mays um but i I think until you kind of clean up those few just inconceivably poor decisions that you kind of go through every game i I think that it kind of limits the ceiling because you need to be able to kind of uh legislate them out of your game by the time you get to the nfl level because nfl defenses will make you pay for it every single time Mm -hmm. um but overall, a good player, somebody who I'm really excited about uh, seeing how he, again, grows this year in the Oregon offense. Jordan Travis, Florida State, somebody who I have not been able to study in depth yet working on my SEC stuff. Um, give me the lowdown on Jordan Travis. Yeah, so the lowdown on, you know, kind of a similar player to Knicks in terms of, you know, the physical ability and what that creation capacity gives you. I think he's up, he's near Williams in creation capacity. Williams is at the top of the class. We've established that there's no one as good as him. But Jordan Travis, man, is such a phenomenal athlete. I mean, you talk about explosiveness, speed. Uh, the ability to channel explosiveness out of 90 degree cuts, right? I mean, he can go from lateral mode to vertical mode so quickly and then just explode down the field. The creation capacity is absurd with him too, but also a very tough competitor. Um, he's not as big as some of these other guys. He's around, I want to say, 6'1". I think he's over 210 now, but you know, a little smaller. I don't think he has the arm strength of Knicks, which is something that may weigh him down a little bit. I think he has you know, average to above average arm strength, but that's kind of where it maxes out with Travis. There are some throws downfield where he's not always able to drive that velocity. He does have very good arm elasticity, though. I think you see him roll out. You know, he can throw on the run. He can keep his shoulders aligned. I think mechanically, he's pretty reliable. I think, you know, one thing that I want to see mechanically is, you know, can you stay in rhythm? Can you maintain that synergy that's very important to deliver an accurate ball? And I think he can do that. Sometimes with, you know, guys who are hyper elite creators, they get a little uncontrolled. Sometimes they get a little volatile with that. But from what I saw, especially last season, you know, I think Jordan Travis was able to maintain that. Uh, he's got really good flashes of precision, on, both on the run and in the pocket, too. Uh, So I think that was something that was very impressive on his tape. I just think, you know, to me, he looks like more of a day two guy just because the arm strength is going to limit his projection a little bit. That said, you know, he's got the creation capacity. He's got very good modern QBing tools. And I think that will help him get that top 100 capital. And especially if he has a great year, you know, we could see him join a team. Like I'd love to see him in Denver, right? You know, let him sit behind Russell Wilson for a couple of years and then maybe get a chance to start. Because I think aside from the arm strength, 
you know, that's going to dilute his upside a little bit. But I do think you're looking at a guy who's a good enough processor, a good decision maker at this point in his career. He's really toned that down. Um, and then an accurate passer, right? You know, a guy who's mechanically sound. And then on top of that, too, just having the hyper elite creation capacity to give you that extra edge on offense. I'm excited to see what he does. I'm excited to see it too. And, and th- this is kind of the problem that we're going through right now. I, I don't have any Florida State tape. There's no yeah. that I can find. So, I mean, I, I can look at uh, stuff on YouTube. Um, I, I can get cut ups um, from the, the sideline. But un- until I get that all 22 for Florida State um, and for a couple other ACC schools, um, I will not have as much of an opinion on these guys uh, as Ian does. But the next guy we're going to talk about, again, another ACC guy, another guy I don't know a ton about, but I'm starting to hear a whole lot about is Riley Leonard, Duke's quarterback. Yeah, he's another fun one, man. I, I'm not ready to say he's a you know round one guy right now. I think he's more of a day two, um, you know, maybe early day three. But I think, you know, especially for younger quarterbacks, you can project a little bit of growth, right? So last year was his first year as a starter and he was very good, right? So I think, you know, I could see him enter round one with another year of development. Mechanically, is that's an area where he needs to grow. I think mechanically, what I said is that, you know, just overall instability, the weight transfers can be smoother, right? You know, I think you're look, working with a guy who's still a little uncontrolled in the pocket and you want to correct that. Um, but I do think there are times when he kind of looks like a juiced up Daniel Jones, like legit. Like, you know, I know, I know it's a it's a comp that you don't want to shrug into because they went to the same school. I try to avoid same school comps because sometimes we tend to associate quarterbacks who are wearing the same gear, right? The same swag, right? So you want to avoid that. But I do think, you know, he's a tall passer. He's a very good athlete for his size, not, you know, as agile or as sudden as some of the guys that we've brought up already. But he does have great speed in space. He's a guy who can, you know, cut on a dime and make single defenders miss and use those solo cuts to get out into space um, in the pocket, too. You know, I think he's a pretty good pocket navigator. I think, you know, it's it's kind of, you know, maintaining his mechanics as he navigates the pocket that I'm a little concerned about. But when it comes to pocket navigation, feeling the rush, you know, maintaining his spatial awareness and you know, knowing how to, you know, keep a safe distance from pressure while also keeping his eyes up, right, that discipline, he's definitely got that too. So I think, you know, Riley Leonard, good arm strength, good arm elasticity as well. I think all the physical tools that you're looking for are there, not to the degree of some of the top guys on the board, but a tough competitor with, you know, a good arm. With I, I, I just think the accuracy and the mechanics are the biggest things for him because he does have the necessary processing capacity as well. So he's one I'll be looking at, I think, mechanically. That's the biggest area where he where he has to improve. And that's a tough one because especially with mechanics, it can be so ingrained from an early age, especially when you encounter pressure. Right. And I think pressure is something that I want to see Leonard improve against because not only are the mechanics a little volatile, but direct pressure threats from the interior will cause him to hesitate too. They can just throw a wrench in his entire process. So you're a young QB. You know, you've got good pocket navigation skills, but I want to see that poise increase. I want to see your control with your mechanics increase. If he can do that, I do think he has enough in his physical toolbox to eventually command round one capital. But he's one of several, too, you know, in that six to ten range. I think yeah. Quinn Ewers is another one that's been brought up. He's He needs to improve a lot on the operational side, too. But there's a few guys who have that upside if they can acquire the necessary growth. I agree 100%. And with Quinn Ewers, he's going to have to do it pretty quickly because he's got somebody breathing down his neck at Texas. Ewers needs to get it done this year and get to the NFL draft. Um, We are done talking about quarterbacks, and that's okay, because we are about to plant a couple of flags. 
We each get one and only one. I would have loved to talk about McKinley Jackson for another half an hour right now, just alone um, in the SEC. But I'm actually going to talk about somebody who I think is going to be a legitimate sleeper because I do think McKinley Jackson by the end of the year um, is going to be spoken quite highly of um, in the NFL draft circles. We are already speaking of him highly here at Pro Football Network, um, but the Texas A&M nose tackle will get his flowers from the rest of the media eventually. We are planting flags, and I am planting my flag for Jaquavius Marks, the running back from Mississippi State. And guys, I don't know if you on the NFL draft side know this about me, but I don't like running backs. Like there, There's nothing about the position that I like. I am a former quarterback and former slot wide receiver. I'm a safety. Like I don't care about the run game. I understand you need a good one to win, but I am not a running backs guy. And that should prove how awesome Jaquavius Marks is that he is my sleeper in this draft class so far. Um, somebody who caught over 80 passes, not this past year, but the year before for Mississippi State. Somebody who is really, really quick in short areas. It's it's going to be difficult to get a proper evaluation on him because Mississippi State has like three-yard splits on their offensive line. They're spread wide open. They're an air raid offense. It, it's going to be tough to, to really get a good feel for him from a processing perspective at the NFL level, because it will be so different for him. But right away, I think he is going to be a premier type third down back at the NFL level. You know, he's right in that mold that I actually prefer for a running back. He's in that five, nine, five, 10, 210 pound mold where he's, you know, a little bit stockier, but he's incredibly explosive. I think that he's a great pass catcher out of the backfield. And I think that he is really intelligent when it comes to pass protection as well, which is going to get him on the field on third downs in the NFL level. Um, I think that he could stand to improve as a pass protector technically, um, but that's just something that kind of comes with time. He's not really asked to do it a whole ton because he is going out on so many routes for Mississippi State. He's going to catch a ton of passes this year again. Um, I can't think of the name right now of the running back that left Mississippi State to transfer out, um, but they kind of split time last year. Um, and uh, they won't be splitting that time this year. So I think that he'll get even more snaps, um, be able to produce a little bit more and maybe rise his stock, you know, into that day two range somewhere. That's uh that's my guy. Who is your guy? The, as you were talking, I was trying to zero in on one guy and it's, 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 it's tough. It's tough it's to zero in tough, on one man. guy. I swear, yeah. man, you want to bring up so many. My runner up was Kieran Amagigi from Yale offensive tackle. Uh, anytime I look at FCS offensive tackle, you want to see if they pass the eye test first explosiveness, yeah. size length, but he's six, five, three twenty. I think he's got almost 35 inch arms off my estimate. So I think the size is there for sure. Very explosive athlete on the attack. Uh, the hinge flexibility to complete seal and reach blocks. He's got that as well. And then just a tenacious physical finisher. I mean, this guy generates a ton of knockback force at contact. Uh, he can pile drive guys in the turf, right? You know, I just think mechanically, you know, technically there's a lot of room for him to keep growing. But if I'm looking for a day three offensive tackle with really, really plus tools, uh, Kieran Amagaji 
from Yale is someone that I'm looking at very fondly, and I'm circling him in that range. Day two, early round, Bo Braid from Maryland. Safety is one that I'm very high on. He's got an NFL frame, 6'1", over 200 pounds, explosive, high-energy athlete when breaking down ahead of tackles. Uh, but he's also got really fluid coverage athleticism, mobility in space, managing those deep zones, and then flipping his hips, channeling that acceleration out of transitions. Uh, just a physical competitor, high IQ. I think he's going to get a ton of buzz as the season progresses. I'm excited. This safety class in particular, man, is going to be so fun. It's deep. It's talented. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. This is the first episode. I think we're already running over. So we got to stop ourselves at some point. Whenever you're talking about scouting, you know you've got to conjure that self-control and stop yourself. So I've got nothing else to say for this episode. Dalton, you want to send us off? Well, you know, it's it's really difficult because, you know, when we got into the, the Caleb Williams and Drake May talk, we were yeah. about 15, 20 minutes in. And I was like, OK, maybe we won't go down trait by trait here because <laughs> we've been through one trait and it took 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, that's just kind of the way that these things go. It's an observational thing um, to 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 discuss NFL draft talent. And it's tough to kind of get those words down and, and be able to summarize it quickly. Um, while still feeling that you're giving enough context. Because that's the thing. We always want to be able to give enough context for everything that we do to make sense. And it's just not that feasible in a 30-minute podcast where we're trying to get multiple topics down. Um, I, I think at some point maybe we'll slow things down a little bit um, and, and hit you know one or two major topics per. But while we're in season, it's going to be impossible. We're going to be keeping up with the week that just happened. We're going to be talking about the week that's going to happen. And we are so excited to get to the rest of this NFL draft class next week or not next week in the next episode we are going to discuss the top non-quarterbacks in this draft class and guys the 2024 class from what we are seeing right now is leaps and bounds better than the 2023 nfl draft class it is going to bring the fun back to the nfl draft and it is always a fun time to watch college football players trying to live their dreams at the nfl level but it is especially fun when you have a class as talented as this one, we will be back on Friday. I love you guys. Thanks for listening.